Beautiful words, aren't they? Um, just let me call your attention to verse 3 of that last song. And it becomes our prayer for this morning, I think. It says, Father, fill us with your spirit, so to us your word reveal. May we know your every purpose, that in you we might fulfill. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. May we know your every purpose through your spirit, Lord, this day. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we actually know nothing. Uh, it's, a, um, it's a humbling realisation that unless God reveals truth to us and keeps revealing truth to us, we know not truth. It's that simple. So just to recap then, um, we've talked about how the glory of God is paramount um, and so uh, enormously removed from us as sinful creatures that there is this gap between us of fear. We fear the holiness, righteousness and glory of God uh, because of our own human condition. Uh, and there's this reverential awe that we see in the scriptures that people are overcome by when they come close to God. And yet there is a great a great positive in that, in that this perfect king oversees a perfect kingdom into which he calls us. How good is that? And what we said last week is, who would want to be in a kingdom where the king was unrighteous? Who would want to be in a kingdom where the king was deceptive? Who would want to be in a kingdom where the king was unjust? None of us. And so it's a great thing that, that uh, God is the glorious God that he is. And then last week we looked at how the only way that we can be in the presence of that God of glory is if we are indwelt by the Son, if we are in Christ. And we talked about how uh, it is true that after the ascension of Christ in the beginning of Acts, the language changes in the scriptures. It no longer becomes follow Christ, it becomes Christ in us. We are in Christ, Christ is in us. It becomes so much more uh, real and effectual. And just think about that, that, that the indwelling Christ in us enables us to connect with the Father in prayer, enables us to worship, because who else knows how to worship the Father but the Son? Uh, and if the Son is in us, he enables us to worship. So um, this morning we need to look at how the, the Holy Spirit, his task is to uh, draw us to Christ because we are blind to the truth of Christ. Uh, so the Holy Spirit's task is to draw us to Christ and keep us in Christ and transform us to be Christ-like. So that's, that's where we're going this morning. Let's start by looking at um, a, a, a benediction that we've heard so many times. It's become quite trite to us in 2 Corinthians 13, and it's on your notes. Um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
I think I'll, what, what I want to try and emphasise this week and possibly next, next week also is just how important understanding the triune God is. That we talk a lot about the Father, we talk a lot about the Son, we don't actually talk too much about the Holy Spirit because, you know, um, that's what charismatic people do, right? Um, but, uh, you know, pe- people who come from a reformed theological background tend to shy away from talking too much about the role of the Holy Spirit. And that's, uh, that's an error that we make because he is incredibly important. And so we, we see in that little um, benediction statement in 2 Corinthians um, that, that, that salvation and ongoing relationship with God is enabled by the triune God. All of the persons of the Trinity are involved in that. And so we see that uh, it is, salvation is purposed by the Father. And what, what is his motivation? It's love. And so we see the love of God in that statement. And our salvation and ongoing relationship is accomplished by the Son. So we see uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that accomplishment is through the grace of Christ. And we see the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that that um, application of that truth is through fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and There's just so much in every single little verse of the Bible, isn't there? Um, so it, it's, it's absolutely fabulous. So every good thing that a sinner wants and needs, maybe not wants so much as needs, every good thing that a sinner needs is in the Father. Everything is there. Uh, his, his glory and perfection. His perfection in every single way. His glory is beyond measure. Um, I remember, as I said, those examples that we see of biblical characters coming close to the glory of God, uh, fear and awe, uh, collapse, fainting, uh, you know, stepping backwards, um, because it's, the glory of God is, is too beyond our sinful selves to behold. It's interesting to contrast that. I don't know whether you've ever thought about this, but when people of the Bible encounter Satan or evil spirits, what happens? It's like a coffee club. <laughs> you know, when, when Adam and Eve um, rebel and now they become sinful people, they have a conversation with Satan. It's fascinating, isn't it? There's, there's no awe. There's no... Um, reverential fear of Satan, there is actually an alliance um, and there seems to be more comfort with evil than with holiness. And that's what happens to us as sinful people. We're more comfortable with evil than we are with holiness. And again, that's something that as we realise and as we're shown that by the Spirit of God, that brings us to um, humility um, that really is what I'm like. Um, I prefer an alliance with evil than I do with a holy God. So the question becomes, so how does a sinner get to the Father? He is, he is infinitely beyond us all in holiness and glory. We cannot approach him. So um, God being so immensely wise says, okay, um, my son needs to become human to connect. 
And, and, and so we have the incarnation of Christ, Christ coming to earth, who does not lay claim to the fullness of his glory. He retains the fullness of his glory, but he doesn't lay claim to it. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, depend upon it. Um, but, it, but in him the fullness of God is still to be found. So we have this incredible picture of, of a, um, a part of the triune God, a person of the triune God in Christ, becoming human to connect with us sinful human beings, but retaining the fullness of the glory of God. I, do I understand that? No. Is it true? Yes. <laughs> and thankfully it is. And, and we can read in Colossians 1, uh, those two verses, 19-20, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So now we can, we can get to Christ because he is man as well as God. And Spurgeon says he, he is the conduit pipe conveying to us all of the blessings from the Father. But then the question becomes, but how do we, how do we get to Christ? How, how do we recognise him? Because the world will tell us, oh, nice man, you know, good, did good moral things. But God? No, we don't, we don't accept that. And I, I could tell you my story, my journey to, um, to Christ grabbing hold of me, but we don't have time for that today, maybe some other time. But how do we get to Christ when in fact we, we are people who in our sin are blind and lame and deaf um, and if we could get to him he would open our eyes but, um, but we're so lame and blind and deaf that we, we can't see it we, we can't see the truth for years I could not see the truth of Christ people would tell me and I'd think nah nah because, because all I could understand was morality and basically my view was, I'm as moral as anybody else, which wasn't very moral. But, <laughs> but um, uh, how, how are we to get to him? Um, if, if we could get to him, he would give me strength. But uh, Spurgeon says, I lie as one dead. I cannot see Christ or tell where to find him. And Ephesians says the same thing, right? We are dead in our sins. And dead people don't go searching for anything. Dead people don't respond to anything. So we have this incredible dilemma that the glory of God, the incarnate Christ, but sinners who can't see, hear, or feel, touch, or respond. And isn't it fascinating, I don't know whether you've ever thought about this, the healing miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, what do they all relate to? Lameness? Deafness? Blindness? Isn't it interesting that, that those things that we, we cannot do in order to see Christ, we cannot see, we cannot hear, we cannot walk towards him, they are the healing miracles that Jesus does while on earth. Don't know whether you've ever made that connection. If it's not helpful, forget it. If it's helpful, it's exciting. Um, but I, I think it is very exciting to see that, that connection and to see all these connections that occur in the scriptures. So the Holy Spirit, his, his task, if you like, is, and his role is to take the things of Christ 
and to show them to saints and sinners, us. Because uh, our sin blinds us to Christ, but the Holy Spirit comes and takes that veil away from our eyes, softens our hearts to be responsive people, enables us to respond to the truth of Christ. And so it's the Holy Spirit's purpose to open our eyes, our ears, our hearts and our minds to show us our sin and who Christ is as Redeemer and lead us to Christ. So the Son of God is the mediator, the reconciler between us and the Father. Um, so, so we have the whole Trinity involved in, in, in bringing us to redemption. And we need the triune God, all the persons of the Trinity, to keep, uh, to make a sinner into a saint in the first place, but to, but to keep us from going back to being sinners. It's a daily thing, isn't it? Um, that, that we are sustained in our relationship to God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Um, the Father glorifies the Son, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, both the Spirit and the Jesus glorify the Father. It's, it's just wonderful how, how it all graciously and beautifully works out. And so the Spirit's work is to glorify Christ and to draw people to him. And without that ongoing work, uh, it's impossible for us to grow in holiness. So it's not just a salvation thing, but it's a day-by-day life thing. Now, Spurgeon again, I, I quote Spurgeon a lot, don't I? Yeah, he's, he's good. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at how many of Spurgeon's sermons were sort of an hour long and dealt with half a verse. Um, it's just brilliant. Spurgeon says the best interpreter of a book is generally the person who wrote it. And the Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. So he says, go to him to get their meaning and you will not be misled wise advice. So our, our big passage this morning is Romans 8 and uh, 17 verses there. So let's look at that um, briefly. Let's read that. So Romans 8 verses 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. You see, the the, the, the the definite thing that Paul is saying here, there's only two ways to walk, in our own flesh, in our own ignorance, or by the Spirit. They're, they're the only two options. Um, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, the only, the only destination, if I rely upon myself, is death. That's my only possibility. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You see, it cannot because we are blind, we are deaf, we are lame, we are ignorant of the truth of who God is. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's just amazing, isn't it? Now, we have this interesting thing called common grace in theological terms, where people can do good things even though they are not believers in Christ. That's the common grace of God. Otherwise, the world would implode. Um, God causes people to do good things. I don't know whether you've ever thought about the Good Samaritan. Um, He was not a believer, but God caused him to be compassionate. And God does that all the time with people. He causes them to behave in ways that are good and positive, even though they don't know him. But there's, there's no merit in that for people. Uh, it's, it's God acting through people, because just like creation has to obey God, everybody actually has to. Um, God is supreme, right? He goes on in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, here Paul is saying, you know, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, all the same thing because we're talking one God, right? Um, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, there we go again, although the body is dead because of sin, The Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of God brings righteousness to us. imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So we've got this ongoing idea that, that... as, as, we, as the Spirit shows us the truth of Christ and reunites us with the Father, they indwell us. The, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God indwells us so that we have this fellowship with God. It's mysterious, isn't it? And yet it's, and yet it's true. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, because we are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, that enables us to fight sin. Because the Spirit of Christ in us and the sin that we desire are incompatible. Right? And that's why we now recognize sin for what it is. We don't always overcome it. Sometimes we succumb to it. But we can tell the difference because the Spirit of Christ indwells us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about suffering, right? 
And we don't go looking for it, but it's part of what being a child of God is. And verse 18 through 25, we'll explore some of that. Uh, it's not our focus for today. But he talks in, in verses 18 through 25 about our present sufferings uh, cannot be compared to future glory. Yes, we might experience some pain, some disappointment, some difficulty here on earth, but there is an eternal future where all of that disappears. It goes on in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Fabulous passage of scripture that we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on. But all I want to do today is say the, the Holy Spirit is, is at work within us to show us Christ, which unites us with the Father. And how wonderful is that? And so if we were to look, I've just put uh, a few verses there to check out. So verse 2 of chapter 8, uh, it says, In Christ there is no condemnation because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. How good is that? And then in verses 4 and 5, We now walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit and have our minds on the things of the spirit. In verse 6, the spirit brings life and peace. Verses 8 and 9, we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, cannot belong to him. Verse 10, the spirit brings us a life of righteousness. We can't conjure up righteousness ourselves. It just cannot be done. Verse 11, the very Spirit who raised Christ from the dead now lives in us and gives life to our mortal bodies. Verse 13, by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. Verse 15, by him, the Spirit of adoption, we have become sons of God and can call God our Father. Verses 16 through 17, the, the Spirit confirms this status in our hearts, assuring us of our eternal inheritance. And verse 26 and 27, as we wait for future glory, and sometimes we get impatient about future glory, um, because it's often agonizing, actually, to be in a sin-cursed world, right? The Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us, leading our prayers, enabling our divine communication. Such a powerful thing. He is such a powerful part of the triune God to do all of this. Murray Kappel, who's a lecturer at the Reformed Theological College in Melbourne, says this, There is not one dimension of the Christian life that is not enabled by the work of the Spirit. Quite simply, without the Spirit, there is no spiritual life. It is the Spirit who convicts us of sin, awakens our dead hearts to hear and see spiritual truths, draws us to Jesus as Saviour and Lord, 
unites us to him, works ongoing faith in our hearts, assures us of our adoption, seals us, sanctifies us, revives us, renews us, enables us with gifts to serve Christ, leads us, assures us, teaches us, prays for us, displays to us the magnificence of the gospel of Christ. We must therefore walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. That sums it up, really, doesn't it? Um, I hope one day, you know, somebody like Murray Cappell will quote me. Um, (laughs) It's good to be quoted by people, isn't it? Uh, And so we need to be aware of our utter dependence upon the Spirit, that apart from him, we're not just unable, but we're disabled. Um, It's impossible for us to be uh, in a relationship with God because we're unable to see our sin uh, and face it. We cannot see the redeeming grace of Christ. We cannot love and serve authentically. We can't understand the triune God through his word. Let me tell you two two stories. Um, And I share these stories with the permission of the people involved, but I'm not using their names so that um, they're not identifiable. Um, But I, uh, because I've been involved in education for most of my life, I've known many young people. Um, And I I love young people. Um, My purpose in life is to help them to find purpose in life. Um, And the three things that we talked about um, last week, identity, meaning and purpose, are so critical uh, to understanding life. And young people are desperate to understand what's my identity, who am I, what's meaning, um, what's life all about, and what's my purpose, what, what should I be doing, uh, how should I be relating. Um, so helping people to understand that. And uh, I would spend my time, and if I look at my situation in Indonesia, I spent 15 years uh, running a school system in Indonesia. And I would make sure that at every lunchtime and break time, I would be out amongst students uh, because I think it's important that leaders be visible, but I think it's also important that leaders have a strong connection with what their leadership is actually meant to achieve, and that is growth in young people. And I would make a point of um, talking with young people, and if there was a connection, you know you, you know you can sense whether you have a connection with somebody or not, then that would become an ongoing relationship. Uh, and this was a, a young year 10 lad, uh, let's call him Nathan. Um, and Nathan was a, a troubled and troublesome young man. Um, came from a very dysfunctional family, and as a consequence was a very dysfunctional person. He had, by the time he got to year 10, he'd actually never read a book. Um, And we're we're talking about um, an international standard school that actually had reasonably high expectations of people. And so there were many times when when teachers would come to me and say, you know, he's wasting his time at school. Uh, And to be honest, he probably was. And yet we had this ongoing relationship. Um, To cut the long story short, one Saturday evening I got a message from him, a phone message from him, 
Uh, and the message was very simple. It said, Christ has found me. Now, number one, for a year 10 student to use that language, not I have found Christ, but Christ has found me, was quite amazing. Now, what happened after that was he started to consume books. I would feed him books and he would consume them. And he'd come back two days later and say, here's my list of questions as a consequence of reading these books. Anyway, to shorten the story even further, he finished school. He went on to do uh, an undergraduate degree, a bachelor's degree in theology and philosophy. He then went on to do a master's degree in theology and then went on to do a PhD in theology. Now, this was a dramatic transformation of a person by the Spirit of God. About two weeks after uh, Christ found him, he wrote this. Just listen to just how profound it actually is for, we're talking a 15, 16-year-old person. He says, my salvation was and is all of grace. It was grace that saved me, grace that caused me to want to be saved, that gave me the desire to even receive grace, that caused me to be grateful for grace. It causes me to desire to thank God for his grace and it disables me from resisting grace. It is irresistible grace that causes me to love God. It causes me to see that God is holy. It causes me to see my own sinfulness before a holy God. That puts the desire to glorify God in me and enables me to seek to please God. It makes me alive. Grace that my will became free to love, became free to obey, taught me what love is, taught me how to love. Grace that my will is no longer in bondage to sin. It was grace that taught me what grace is, that taught me what wrath is, that saved me from that wrath, that causes me to pray at night, that taught me how to pray, that keeps me secure in grace. Grace that keeps me hanging on to grace. Grace that keeps me running to grace, that lets me see I have nowhere else to go but grace that causes me to see the beauty of grace, that made me see the immensity of God's grace. If it weren't for grace, my will would still be to deny his name. I would have no righteousness. I would be utterly depraved. I would be devoid of any sort of good. I would be dead in sin. It was all of grace, and by grace I will persevere, for God's grace never fails, irresistible, Effectual grace. Incredible, right? Now, to actually witness that transformation uh, from a nothing person to somebody who three weeks later could come up with words like that and then be so motivated, and his motivation was, he knew as soon as, as, as Christ got a hold of him, he knew what his vocation was going to be. He said, you know, it's academics. It's not just 
poor people who need to know Christ. Academics need to know Christ because they lead society. They lead philosophical understanding. He says, my task is to influence academic people for Christ. And that was odd because he was the least academic person that you could ever imagine. But what God's, the Spirit of God did was motivated him to become an academic. He's now the most published theologian in Indonesia. Uh, I could tell you who it was, but we'll leave it there. Uh, and so his, his theme verse became John 1.16, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And then he came across this and said, this is me. I do not account my life of any value, Acts 20.24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, the Spirit of God can transform somebody from nothing to being a total servant of Christ. How good is that? Let me tell you another story which is different, but similar. Let's call this person Daniel. Um, and this young person came to our school uh, around about year nine. Uh, he'd been, his family were working overseas. They came to our school. And within three weeks, four weeks, um, again, every teacher in senior school wanted to expel him. He was argumentative, rebellious, angry, um, committed to nothing, uh, determined to be uh, a, a troublesome person. Again, shortening the story, there came a point in his life where he came to see me and he says, I think, I think... I have become a Christian. So we talked about that. And sure enough, in, in the conversations, it became obvious that, yes, uh, the Spirit of God had touched him and, and he knew who Christ was. However, his behaviour didn't change. He was still a bully. He was argumentative. He was rebellious. And I said, Daniel... Uh, people are not seeing the evidence of what you're claiming. So here's what we're going to do, with your permission. I said, I'm, I'm going to call a, an assembly for year 10, 11, 12 students, your peers, and I'm going to interview you. Because there are questions that people are asking about you, that you claim to be a follower of Christ, and yet... Your behaviour doesn't match that. Are you prepared for me to do that? And he said, yeah, I am. So we set up the, the room and there were about 400, year 10, 11, 12. That would, you know, if I was a year 10 student, that would have overawed me completely. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that. But uh, Daniel sat on the couch at the front of this room. I sat on the chair opposite him. And I said, okay, we're just going to ask some questions. And we talked about how he came to faith, and he talked about that very uh, easily. I said, look, here's the issue. 
Here's the issue that, that is on people's hearts and minds. They don't see the change. How do you explain that? He said, I'm the oldest child in my family. Um, and for the first three years of my life, I was the only child. Because then my mum and dad had a second child, my brother. My brother was born severely disabled, both physically and mentally. And he said, as I grew up and I saw him, I was angry. I was angry with, with whoever God was. I was angry with how can, how can this happen to another human being? And I was angry because all the attention of my parents was diverted from me to him. So I was angry. He said, not only that, but my brother had more of a positive influence on people than I did. He, was, he seemed to be long-suffering and, and joyous where I wasn't. And so I became more angry. He said, two years ago, my brother died. Now I added to my anger, guilt. Because I felt so bad about him. I had treated him so badly. I had resented him so much. And now he wasn't there. He says, here's the thing. I know that God has, has touched me. I know that God has changed my heart. He says, but here's the thing. I think God can change a heart in an instant, but our habits take a long time to change. I think that's profound. I think that was the most profound statement I had heard from a 15, 16 year old person in my life. And it's true. If you think about our own lives, that our hearts can be changed in an instant, in, in an instant. but our habits, or oh, they take a lot longer, don't they? <laughs> they take a lot longer. And so for, for him, for Daniel, probably the critical issue is 2 Corinthians. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What's Daniel doing now? He's a pastor of a church. and has immense pastoral skills because of his experience and because of his understanding of who God is. See, the Spirit shows us Christ and how he is our Redeemer and the one who restores us to the Father and how we are set apart in Christ. And the Spirit's work is ongoing, changing us moment by moment causing us to be obedient to Christ. For some people, it's dramatic change. For others, 
it's gradual transformation. But it's certain, <laughs> it's certain that, that that change is occurring. So the Spirit shines a spotlight on Christ, uh, showing us our redemption and a spotlight on ourselves, exposing our sin so that we might be cleansed. And then just a few things to finish. Left to ourselves, um, Paul was telling us in Romans, we will interpret the scriptures to suit our own circumstances rather than see our circumstances through the scriptures. And if we're unaware of our dependence, uh, we will lose our way. We will make important things unimportant and we'll make unimportant things important. We will walk by sight or probably more by feeling and not by faith. And sometimes we become despondent at lack of change in circumstances or sometimes we become despondent at lack of change in other people or sometimes we become despondent at lack of change in ourselves. And remember, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed. We are being transformed. And we're tempted sometimes to seek to replace grace with increased human effort. And we judge ourselves and we judge other people in legalistic ways. God is patient with us. If God is patient with us, we need to be patient with one another and we need to be patient with ourselves. He is changing us. Trust the word of God. Trust the spirit of God that he's changing us from one degree of glory to another. And dependence upon the spirit pushes us to prayer. Praying for our family, our friends, ourselves, that we will have a deeper conviction of sin and its power and grace and the Spirit leading us to see Christ and the Father. We need to remind ourselves that God's children are sealed by the Spirit. We looked at Ephesians last week. We are sealed by the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 And the other thing is the Spirit is with us forever. John 14, 15 through 18 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. How long? Forever. Forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And when we are praying for those who don't yet know the Father through the Son, and we all know those people, they may be family members, they may be friends. Uh, there are certain people that I pray for every single day. Um, and when we, we're praying for those people who do not yet know the Father, we need to depend upon the Spirit. We need to remind ourselves that the truth can only come supernaturally. It cannot come through logic. 
It, it comes by the revelation of the Spirit of God. That's what we need to pray for. And John, again in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 7 11, says, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit convicts people, us, of our sins, of the righteousness of a holy God of glory, of righteous judgment and the solution to be found in Christ. And then, as believers, he guides us into truth. And again, for most of us, it's a gradual moment-by-moment thing. Do not be too harsh on ourselves. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Only by the Spirit, through the actions of the Son, can we call the God of all glory our Father. You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So we're back to that simple statement of trust and obey. And even that is something that has to be enabled by the Spirit of God because that's what the Spirit enables us to do, all of grace. So the Spirit applies to God's people what the Father intends for his people and what Christ has accomplished for God's people. Not just once, but every moment of every day. And how good that is, that we are, we are never alone. Uh, we are never abandoned. We are always being changed from one degree of glory to another. Let's pray. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, is ours, and by the Spirit, Lord, we know that that is true. Lord, thank you for your word that is powerful, is true, is freeing, uh, is encouraging. Lord, help us to know and grow in the spirit of truth. Lord, help us to be patient with one another. Help us to be patient with ourselves and to know that you are at work in us. Lord, and help us to be responsive. Help us to respond to your great grace. Help us to respond to the word of your spirit. Help us to respond to the truth of who Christ is. Father, thank you that you you bring us into your kingdom and you change us moment by moment. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.